Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Out of the hold of Jack Baumeister. The snap is back, the kick is away. It is up and it is good! It's good! It's good! And the Utes have beat the Trojans at the Coliseum! Bill Riley, ESPN 700, was on the scene with that call last Saturday. He's on the scene in Salt Lake City now, where uh, College Game Day is preparing for a broadcast tomorrow morning and a big football game that will, uh, of course, be airing on Fox. Bill Riley joining us. What was that like to call that moment? It was fun. Um, you don't get a lot of those, and you don't get a lot of those at the Coliseum against USC. So uh, that was that was a lot of fun. I had a good one last year, too, the, the, the old two-point conversion by Cam Rising with about 50 seconds left in the game to put him up on SC as well. So um, they've been a lot of fun. That's what stinks about this Pac-12 disintegration thing. I, I don't know when the next time is I'm going to get to go to the Coliseum again. Was it important for Utah, even though Utah had had USC's number, if he misses the field goal, you know, was it important to Utah to get that final win, given that these teams may not play again for a while? Well, yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, if they don't, if he misses that kick, they're they're probably out of the Pac-12 race. I mean, they're they're probably done with two losses in Oregon and Washington um, still to come. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, and it, I think it was yeah. To, because John, they've they've had success against USC. They're not going to get a chance to go back there. Storied program. I still think a lot of people look at USC as one of the big reasons why kind of that first domino to fall and cause the Pac-12 to end. So yeah, I think it was big for a lot of reasons. The uh, college game day scene. Kyle Whittingham riding his Harley <laughs> in for an interview with Pat McAfee today. Uh, shows up on a motorcycle. Um, how much? How much is that being embraced by Utah fans? Oh, they love it. I was in the middle of my show and seeing social media clips when that was going on. McAfee started about an hour before my show started, and then I knew Whittingham was coming on. Then I saw that thing hit social media. I mean, that that's real. I mean, that's his bike. I mean, he rides a Harley. That's that's kind of Kyle is a rock and roll music classic rock guy. He loves uh, loves to work out. Loves to ride his Harley Davidson and. You know, he, he kind of embraced the moment. I mean, you've talked with him enough, John, to know he's uh, he's kind of a guy's guy, and what you see is what you get. And you know, he uh, he he likes doing that stuff. So he was he was full in on it today. And I think somebody probably informed him that would be a, a good entrance to the McAfee show. So Utah fans are are eating that stuff up today. Yeah, you you had Stanford Steve on your show. He's been on with us a couple times. He was wearing uh, today. Uh, That's my pig farmer sh- T-shirt uh, in honor of Bryson Barnes. Um, how much have you seen Barnes grow? A lot, um, and I think some of it's just simply because he's played. I mean, he was that great Cinderella story when he came in for two series in the Rose Bowl when Rising got knocked out against Ohio State and. He throws the touchdown to Kincaid that sends it to 45-45. But, but people love this kid because he was a 1A quarterback, a walk-on, 
He was a pig farmer. His parents owned a gigantic, you know, hog ranch. He was a wrestler. He was working at Lowe's this past off season when he wasn't on scholarship to make money for he and his wife. I mean, people just love the story, and then you watch him grow. I mean, he's a, he, he, he's a smart kid. He knows the playbook inside and out, but if you haven't played, you're not going to be as sharp as guys that have. And I think you've seen him improve, especially the last three weeks, when it's been his show and his show alone and not splitting reps with, with uh, Nate Johnson, the freshman Wildcat quarterback. He's a good player. Is he Cam Rising? Probably not. Is he Bo Nix? Probably not. But he's a good quarterback, and he's a smart kid, too. And, you know, th- those reps have come a long way, and you've seen him kind of grow up and embrace the role. And I think the coolest thing about last week was the team found out that Rising and Keithy were being shut down for the year, and they had a vote before the game and voted him a captain. So before he ran on the field, he got that C on his chest for the USC game. That, I think that, that, that helped him a lot, too, with his confidence. Rising today danced around the question of whether he will be back next year. They're shutting him down officially for the year. He he said, you know, we'll see. What's your sense on what goes into that decision for Cam Rising? I think a lot of it's NFL related and what the NFL people tell him and what kind of feedback he gets there. Because I think Cam probably wanted to leave last year and, and try. I mean, he had two really good years. He's 24 now, John. If he comes back, he'll be 25. And so I, I think he'd probably like to go, but, you know, what does the NFL tell him? Will he be drafted? Will he be a priority free agent? I mean, you could be a free agent and still make a living. Tyler Huntley was the quarterback before him, was a free agent, was, it benefited him because he got, you know, he went to Baltimore and ended up backing Lamar Jackson up. So I, I think probably in the best world, because of his age, he'd probably like to go, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on what the, uh, what the NFL tells him because you and I both know in this NIL world that we live in now, you can make a pretty good living as a core college quarterback, even coming back for a sixth or seventh year. Bill Riley from Salt Lake City. He is the voice of Utah athletics. This is a big game for both these programs, and you're right. It's probably an elimination game for, for the Pac-12 race. We'll see how it goes down the stretch. Um, I think Oregon's got the better team, but this game's in Rice-Eccles Stadium, and you know that stadium better than anybody, Bill. What is that stadium worth when, when you look around to a team on game day? I, I think it's worth between a field goal and a touchdown, depending on what happens in that game. It's worth points, and there's no doubt about it. It's, it's one of the better home field advantages in the West. This, Autzen Stadium, probably Reeser, and uh, certainly Husky Stadium are the best environments in, in the Pac-12 for sure and probably in the West. So I think it's good for at least a field goal, John. It might be good for good enough for a touchdown, too. I'll push back a little bit. I, I think if Cam Rising and Keith, and Keith are playing, I think Utah is just as good, if not better, than Oregon. But without those guys with Bo Nix there and without those guys there, I would say Oregon's probably uh, – I would, I would say they're probably, probably the better team because of Nix and because of some of the health they've got in their playmakers. But uh, Utah's defense is elite – um, it's the best defense in the Pac-12, and it's probably one of the best four or five defenses in the country right now. And a really good defense at home with a good home crowd is going to keep you in the ball game. Now can Bryson Barnes and the offense make enough plays against that Oregon defense to give them a chance to win? Yeah, I keep thinking, too. This, uh, I think if Oregon wins this game, it might be the biggest win for Dan Lanning because I go back even to last year and I go – you know, they didn't beat Washington. They didn't beat Oregon State. He, he didn't beat Georgia, certainly. He won a bowl game, but this is a, this is a conference two-time champion on the road. 
even beating Utah last year at Autzen, it's not the same. I think this would be, you know, something that Dan Lanning has not done to this point, and I think that makes it fascinating as well. And I'm glad it's going to be during the day. What's the weather been like? What are what are we looking at for kickoff? Um, I think we're looking at about 47 and sunny for kickoff. We had rain and a little bit of snow on Thursday. It's cleared off today. It's sunny and about 55 today. It's going to be a touch cooler tomorrow. But, man, it's going to be football weather. I mean, it's going to be great. There's no weather in the forecast. Mostly sunny, 47, games at 130. I wish it was a night game, John, because there's a little more juice in the building. I don't care if you're at Rice-Eccles, you're at Autzen, or you're at wherever. Night games, there's just a little bit more juice, but there'll be plenty of energy in the building tomorrow. Kyle Whittingham, you know, his longevity, the fact that he's got the program humming, I can't I can't think that he's looking to move away from this. His contract runs through 2027. He'll be making $8 million when that comes. I don't think the money's important to him, but how much longer does Whittingham have there in your mind? He's going to coach as long as he feels like he's got a chance to probably make the college football playoff. That's the one thing he doesn't have on his resume, John. And I think there's a part of him that wants to probably coach at least a year in the Big 12. I mean, Utah's going to step into the Big 12 next year as either the best program or the – well, it'll be the best program. It'll either be the best team or the second-best team next year in the Big 12. And with the playoff expanding to 12 next year, I think Utah will have a really good chance, either as the champion or the runner-up of the Big 12, to get into that playoff and then see where it goes. I mean, his resume, he's a Hall of Famer. He's an all-timer here. They're going to build the statue of him outside the stadium uh, when he retires, it's all there. He'll have a chance to be in the College Football Hall of Fame, too, because he was an excellent player and a coach. But I, I think that he's enjoying himself. The program's in great shape. He's embracing the role of CEO of the program. And, uh, you know, as long as they have a chance to be at or near the top of the, whatever conference they're in, I think he's, you know, I think he's going to stay around a little bit longer. Utah's going to win big in the Big 12, aren't they? I mean, I look over, that's not a better conference. There's no Washington, there's no Oregon, there's no USC, there's no UCLA. That's an easier conference for for Utah. Absolutely it is. That's why I said they're going to step in, if not the best, maybe the second best program immediately. Oh, they're going to have success. I mean, unless something cataclysmic happens between now and next year, yeah, you're right. They don't have SC, Washington, Oregon, even an Oregon State in front of them right now that that conference losing texas and oklahoma they don't have a utah might be the flagship program in the football program in that conference immediately stepping in that's a good league but it's not anything like what the pac-12 is even before this year even in a down year the pac-12's got sc or oregon or washington or utah they don't have any of that so it it should be a pretty easy transition next year kirk herbstreit was just on with us and you know, he was talking about how the country does not understand the magnitude of Oregon and Utah playing, especially in the last five years when you look at these two programs. And he, he pointed out that or, that Utah just flies under the radar and that, you know, people in the SEC footprint, they don't know anything about Utah. It, why, why is that? Why, why doesn't the program get more national pub? Well, maybe Kirk should look in the mirror. Maybe the worldwide leader, <laughs> if they looked beyond west of the Rocky Mountains or the SEC and Big Ten footprint, maybe that would happen, right? I mean, who's responsible for promoting and, and covering the programs? The networks and the news outlets are. You do, I do, but we're in the footprint. If they, I mean, that, that's been the curse of the Pac-12 Conference in general 
They don't look west unless it's USC and sometimes Oregon. You know, Kirk should look in the mirror. I mean, the, you know, the ESPN folks feel like they sometimes camp out in Big Ten and SEC country. Good football's played beyond here. You and I both know this. The, the Pac-12 is the best conference in the country top to bottom right now. The SEC is not. They're, they're in a quote-unquote down year a little bit this year. They'll still have a playoff team. But I'd put one through six, one through seven up in the Pac-12 this year against any league in the country. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they continue to say they fly under the radar. They're two-time conference champions. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know why that is. Yeah, and I keep thinking, you know, what the Pac-12 needs is it, it needs a puncher's chance. It needs, a, it needs to, you know, have a dog in the fight this year. And then I'm looking at the playoff rankings coming out Tuesday, Bill, and I'm, I'm a little concerned with, you know, Michigan and Georgia and uh, Oklahoma undefeated and Florida State undefeated. And, and, and I'm going, where's the Pac-12 going to fit in this unless it's, you know, an undefeated Washington? Is a one-loss conference champion going to get left out again? I, I hope not. Um, I would think this year a one-loss Pac-12 champion would be a shoe-in based on how the conference has gone this year. Hey, Michigan might be the best team in the country, but they haven't played anybody, John. Yeah. Washington, I know they stumbled a week ago, nearly lost to Arizona State, but they've been really good this year. They're 7-0. and I still think Oregon right now is the most balanced team in the league and one of the most balanced teams in the country. And if Utah beats the Ducks tomorrow, I think they should be on the short list in that conversation, too. Now, again, undefeateds are always going to get priorities over one-loss teams. But I, I don't I, – I just – it's hard for me to see a world, and maybe I'm just being goofy here, where a one-loss Pac-12 champion this year, unless you've got four undefeateds, doesn't get in. Bill Riley with us, ESPN 700. Let's talk about Utah's defense. It's elite. What makes it elite? Because they're good on every level. They've got playmakers on every level. They've got three elite pass rushers. Jonah Ellis leads Power 5 in, in sacks with 10, and he's got, I think, 15 tackles for loss this year. Uh, they've finally gotten healthy up front. Van Fillinger and Connor O'Toole, who are excellent defensive ends, are finally healthy and playing. They've got an all-conference defensive tackle in Junior Tafuna. They've got a preseason all-conference linebacker in Kareni Reed. They lost their freshman of the year last week, Lander Barton, but they replaced him with a three-time start, three-year starter and captain from Stanford in Levani Damuni. And Cole Bishop and Sione Vaki, yes, the guy that plays running back and wide receiver, are probably the best safety combination in the conference. And the corners were finally tested last week. And, oh, yeah, Caleb Williams didn't throw for a touchdown pass for the first time in his career, high school or college. So the, the, all three levels are really, really good. And here's the thing. They're finally healthy. They hadn't been healthy all year long. They hadn't played together as a group, which was also a testament to the depth of what Kyle Whittingham's recruited. So it's really, really good. Playmakers on every level. And really and truly, the reason Utah's 6-1 and one right now is because of that defense. Yeah, and I, and I keep thinking, where Utah needs this game to be in the 20s. Like, you don't want, yeah. if you're Utah, you don't want to get in a, you know, 38-35 game with Oregon. I just think the Oregon firepower a little bit too much there, but but that said, I look at the last two weeks for Utah, thirty four and thirty four. They have scored in the thirties, and I got to tip my cap to Andy Ludwig. In you know, the coordinators of of Kyle Whittingham have done a terrific job. Well, Morgan, you know, with the defense, but Andy's so good at scheming to the strength of what he has. 
you know, Sione Vaki, a safety, they bring him over. Now all of a sudden he's the juice in the offense they didn't have. Scheming to what Bryson Barnes does well. Here's the other thing, though, too, John. The offensive line is finally playing like a Utah offensive line. They got healthy, they got together, in the last two weeks they've been really good. And to me, that's where tomorrow is going to be decided. We could talk about Knicks and Barnes. We could talk about Sione Vaki. We could talk about Troy Franklin and Bucky Brook or Bucky Irving. But at the end of the day, which of the big uglies win? Which, which, which offensive line, which defensive line is better tomorrow? Because the team that's more physical and Lanning and Whittingham both pride themselves on physicality. The team that wins up front is going to win the game tomorrow. Yeah, and I think uh, it will be that kind of game. Look, Bill, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't seem that long ago, I saw Utah play at Reeser Stadium. They look like a very different team, and I know teams evolve over the course of the season, but what in your mind has changed just in like two to three weeks? Well, the offensive line got healthy, which they weren't. You need to be physical against Oregon State, and they couldn't match a lot of Oregon State's physicality. They were still rotating the quarterbacks then, John. It was Nate Johnson, it was Bryson, but it was mostly Nate Johnson. Nate Johnson started that game. He wasn't very good. Barnes came in, threw the pick after leading him into the red zone, then took the shot to the ribs. But they're not rotating quarterbacks anymore. And then they found their, they found their electricity on offense. They found Sione Vaki. And they're using Vaki the way that the Niners use Christian McCaffrey. He's a wildcat running back. He's a running back. He's a slot receiver. They split him out wide. They just move him all over the field and try to create mismatches with his speed and athleticism. He was an all-California, Northern California slot receiver in high school. He was fantastic. Utah just moved into defense because that's kind of what Kyle Whittingham does. <laughs> I love it. I think it's going to be a lot of electricity. Um, I uh, I will be flying in, and uh, I'll see you in the press box. But uh, uh, I really appreciate you making time for us and, and – uh, a lot of electricity with game day. You think a little extra in the stadium? Does that you know how much does that add? Uh, I think there's going to be a little more juice tomorrow. Again, Oregon, big game, game day. I think the energy may not quite be what it was two years ago at night when Utah kind of buzz saw the Ducks, but I think it'll yeah. be pretty close to that tomorrow. Yeah, and I think like two years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. Wasn't it really about validation and Utah yeah. kind of owed Oregon and there'd been all the talk about Oregon. It was all about Oregon nationally. I walked into the stadium that night and I went, oh, Oregon's in trouble. There was just it was, a, the, it was, same, an it was the same thing. It was the same thing that happened at the Pac-12 championship game two, two years earlier. All everybody was talking about was Utah, Utah, Utah. Yeah. If they win, they go to the playoff, blah, blah, blah. And Oregon got sick and tired of hearing about it and punched Utah in the mouth. Utah did the same thing to Oregon two years ago. Now we'll see if they trade punches tomorrow. Bill Riley, have fun tonight. I will see you tomorrow at the stadium. Father of the year, John Canzano. I'll see you then. <laughs> there he goes, Bill Riley. You know what? He's making fun of me or giving me a tip of the cap there uh, because the barn blast is tonight at my kids' elementary school. It's like the biggest deal to them. Uh, the kids get to put on their Halloween costumes. And so when the kids heard that I was traveling to get to do the Oregon-Utah game, they were like, you're not missing the barn blast. And I was like, okay. So instead of flying out tonight after the show, I am catching a 5.45 a.m. flight tomorrow to Salt Lake City, covering the game and then turning it around and flying back. So that's what I'll be doing.
and but I'll be at the barn blast tonight. Anna will come along. The five at five is still ahead. Uh, Punch it audio still ahead as well. And plus, Stephen and I are going to give our NFL upset of the week. We're going to pick one game that we think will be an upset. Stephen's got one. I've got one. Stay tuned. <laughs> Anna's headset cord. Is it a cord? Is that what it is? Yep. The cord is, uh, uh, you, you, uh, the cord itself was underneath the leg of a stool that's in the studio. And so when she went to put on her headset, she <laughs> had to lean down like, I thought you were falling out of your chair. I about did. I get it. You're trying to see if I can be a contortionist like the bendy girl from Cirque du Soleil. I get it. Good job. Okay? Way to be an athlete. <laughs> yeah. Way to be an athlete I right there. could have been real bad. Way to be an athlete. Hey, you know what? Something happened last night. We were at the Killer Burger, and our uh, our seven-year-old soccer team had their kind of end-of-the-season banquet, so to speak. And and it was a banquet. Like, these yeah. things have gotten real fancy. They went all years. out. And I enjoy a killer burger as much as anybody. So I, I was happy to be at this banquet. And, but the coach did a really good job. Like, they went around and talked about every player. And I want to just give a shout-out to youth sports coaches who coach teams, who spend their time, effort, energy. They could be getting a massage. They could be at the gym. They could be reading a book. They could be getting a pedicure. And instead, they are out there on a grass field with your kids and my kids, coaching them, pouring into them. And then at the banquet, the coach, like, there was, I don't know how many players on the soccer team. 16. Okay. 16 players on the soccer team. And the coaches went around and spoke about each kid. And it, it, it something hit me when they were doing that. And if you're a coach of a youth team, I really encourage you to do this. Those kids were beaming <laughs> when they were hearing an adult that was not their parent say something positive about them, and whether it was this kid showed up every day with a smile on their face or this kid really uh, worked really hard at practice and this kid, wow, showed a lot of growth and this kid on game day was the first kid to come off the bench and hug and celebrate a goal by somebody else. And this kid, like every single one of those kids I watched, they beamed having an adult pour some love and encouragement into them and so you know for coaches who coach teams good on you and for coaches who do a banquet where they even if it's a like at killer burger banquet which by the way is not a bad place to have your banquet um and you spend a moment just telling the kid one little thing one little thing all those kids left feeling good about themselves i can tell you that and they want to come back next year yeah, I think what's really cool is that we had a lot of parents step up to help coach this season. And, you know, in fact, the, the main coach, the head coach, was so desired, like so many people requested her as a coach, that that's why we wound up with 16 girls that she split into two teams. So the she girls, was coaching two teams. She really was coaching two teams. The girls practiced together, but they were playing different opponents on the weekends. And, you know, I'm just going to say, like, Polly Meek, is my hero because it's like there's a reason everyone's requesting her and it's because she puts in so much heart into the coaching she and her husband both are youth coaches in our community and when you think about it like coaching is a sacrifice because you're not getting to just sit back and enjoy your kid 
playing the sport as a spectator, like you're in there and you're often having to critique and, you know, make corrections and, you know, make a kid uncomfortable when you're trying to improve their skills. So, I mean, I just, I can't thank these parents enough that stepped up and give their time and their energy, which are the two most valuable resources that we have, time and energy, um, to help our kids. I um, did not, I wanted to coach. I can't because the radio show is on at this hour. And But there have been some days where, like, we were preempted on a Monday or a Thursday with Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, and I would scramble out of the studio and get over to the field just to catch 30 minutes of their practice as it was ending. And it was always really cool to kind of see that. So I just, I want to give a fist bump to all the coaches out there that pour into kids and volunteer to coach teams. And, you know, you're, uh, you're all saints. Let's say that. Not so much of a saint is ESPN. How about ESPN and the tweet today? Steven, did you see the Damian Lillard tweet that uh, SportsCenter or ESPN tweeted out with Lillard in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform? But not really in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform. It was a it was a video that was apparently recorded when the Blazers were in the bubble, and Lillard is like it's really misleading and weird. Did you see this thing? Uh no, I read about it. I did not see it. Uh, but yeah, that is really weird. That a company like ESPN that uh you know hires people to run these type of social media stuff they can't even uh, catch that kind of thing. That is weird. Lillard had thirty nine points, eight rebounds, four assists as his team beat the 76ers, and he got the final five points of the game for the Bucks, including a three that uh, got it. But after the game, SportsCenter's social media f- feeds post what initially appears to be a post-game interview with Lillard, but it looked weird, and people who recognized it as a Blazer video understood right away this is not the Bucks' home floor. This was uh, the Lillard jersey that's not the same jersey as what Milwaukee wore. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth radio show. Thanks for listening.